captured by the ones left behind. Some believe it can be measured in faith. Some say by love. Other folks say life has no meaning at all. Me? I believe that you measure yourself by the people who measured themselves by you. What I can tell you for sure is that by any measure, Edward Cole lived more in his last days on Earth than most people managed to wring out of a lifetime. I know that when he died, his eyes were closed and his heart was open. The story that you just saw is the first minute of a movie called The Bucket List, starring Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson. It's a movie about two men. One is a corporate billionaire, and the other is a working-class mechanic. Two men who have very little in common until they meet each other while being treated for terminal cancer. And suddenly, that was what they had in common. So together, they decide to spend their last days doing everything they always wanted to do before they kick the bucket, which is where we get the term bucket list. Things like skydiving out of an airplane or driving vintage race cars around a racetrack or visiting famous landmarks. And the idea here is that even though these are things they may not have had time or money to do in the past, they didn't want to die without having had these big life experiences. Suddenly, in the face of their own mortality, the things they had brushed aside before as wild dreams became worth it to chase after. Our new series that I'm so excited to bring to you is called Worth It. This series is three weeks long and we're just getting started. How do you know something is truly worth it? I've heard lots of stories of people who have chased after things their entire lives. Maybe it was some rare vintage collectible, some hard-to-find item. Maybe it was the summit of Mount Everest, which you just saw. It shows up in the movie. Maybe it was a a record label contract or a high-profile career in some field that they were excited about. It's something big, something that you have to chase after your entire life and work really hard to achieve. And then I've also heard these stories where people finally get that thing. They finally arrive, and suddenly they, they realize it didn't hold the profound meaning or satisfaction that they hoped for. And they're left wondering, what's left to live for now? Well, I'm here to tell you today, you don't have to wait until your life is ending to live a life that's worth it. When you decide to trust in Jesus Christ, when you chase after him— that's when you're truly living. It's worth it just to follow him. I'm looking for an amen this morning. It's worth it just to follow him. The life of a God follower is one that's marked by worship. So this new series called Worth It is all about worship. The what, the how, and the why. Okay, I know what some of you might be thinking. The worship pastor is up there, and he's going to talk about worship. Blah, 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 boring. I've been coming to this church since I was a fetus. I've heard it all before. Well, let me tell you, not only do I hope you don't find me boring, 
I also hope you don't find worship boring, because if worship is boring to you, I respectfully submit you're probably doing something wrong. And let me explain that. I am not here today to tell you to sing more or to tell you what kind of music to use in worship. I'm not here to tell you to dance or lift your hands or speak in tongues or prophesy because all of these things are just limited glimpses of what worship really is. Now, you'll remember a couple weeks ago, I told you I wanted you to take notes because when there's something up on the screen, that means it's a highlight that I hope will stick with you, something that you'll take away from what we talk about this morning that will get into your heart and mind and that will change the way you look at life going forward, okay? So your notes start here. There's something on the screen. Worship isn't an activity. Are you with me? Worship isn't an activity, One day last week, I went outside to mow the lawn. How did I do that? I'm so glad you asked. I got the push mower out of the garage. I filled up the gas tank. I started the mower. I pushed it through the grass. I made sure I didn't miss any spots. And a little while later, I had covered all the ground in front of me, and the grass mowing was over. The activity was complete, at least until it needs mowing again the following week, right? Some of us look at worship like mowing the lawn. Sunday morning comes, and we think, okay, it's worship time. So we get ourselves psyched up for the activity, and we put on our worshiping outfit, our Sunday best. And we go to the church building, and we polish off a worship service— piece by piece, like sections of grass in the yard. Song number one is over. Let's move on to song number two. Now let's pray together. Then it's time to listen to the sermon and try not to think about what's for lunch. Finally, the closing song comes, and that's it. We have covered all the ground. We've clipped every piece of grass for the week, and we won't have to do it again until a week later. But my friends, to that I say, Worship isn't an activity. If it were, you could get by on doing that just once a week. You could get by on worshiping once a week. You could start and stop at times that suit you. You could fit it into your busy schedule. You could cover enough worship ground this Sunday that you wouldn't even have to think about it until doing it again the next Sunday. No, worship is not an activity. Worship is is something else. I think this is why people often talk about the difference between religion and relationship, right? On one level, being religious is just doing the same repeated actions over and over. But a relationship is a genuine, internally motivated connection with God through faith. So in the same way we talk about the difference between religion and relationship— You can choose to look at the idea of worship either as a repeated activity or a genuine, internally motivated connection with God. It comes down to this. Each one of us is going to choose what kind of role worship will play 
for us? How does it enter into the equation in the midst of our plans and our desires and our growth and development as people? Because I, I think when we take a step back and we look at the big picture, we think about these kinds of things. We think, where will I go to college? What kind of career will I have? What, who might I marry? What might like, my life look like in the future with a family and children and grandchildren? Those are the kinds of things we think about. We don't tend to think about as much things like, what kind of church will I be a part of, or how will I worship God? But when you follow God, aren't those necessary questions? So maybe we should be looking at our lives and thinking about the journey of faith just as much as we think about our earthly plans. If we say we follow God, that means God plays an important role in the decisions we make about what we do with our lives. And you, you saw this morning how the Bramlets and the Nisleys have made that kind of decision. They made a commitment to following Christ and to the body of believers, this church family, because they're putting a priority on what God has to say about their time and their talents and what they spend their energy on. They took a step and they made a public declaration saying, I am choosing to be a Jesus follower, a God follower first in my life before anything else. One thing I didn't mention when we did that ceremony earlier is I've invited those four people to be down here in the front after our service today, as you might be familiar with from other years. So if you haven't gotten a chance to welcome them as a new member, you'll have that chance at the end of the service. They'll be down front and you can come and you can welcome them and uh, give them a hug and let them know how loved they are. And they made a great commitment this morning, but I'm not going to make the mistake of assuming that every person here is already a God follower. That's why you'll oftentimes in my messages that I preach, you'll hear me make uh, an invitation to people, people who haven't yet made that initial decision, that, that important decision to follow and trust in Jesus Christ and follow God. Because that moment can't be overstated. That decision is huge in your life. It's the point where I say, I need you, God. I know I need you when life is bad and when life is good. And I know that you hold the key to salvation from my sin and my selfishness, and you hold the key to life here on earth and in the life to come in heaven. So today, if you need to pray and make that decision. I invite you to find me after the service. I invite you to find somebody else here you know who can help you take that step. And I didn't want to move on before I made that invitation to you. But to kick off our series here today, we're going to look together at a story of a young man who offered his life to God. The young man's name was Samuel. You can find his story in the book of 1 Samuel that's named after him. And this book starts out, by telling us about Hannah, a young woman who was grieving because she'd never been able to have children. And then by God's grace, one day she becomes pregnant and she finally had a son and she named him Samuel. Hannah made a vow. In thankfulness, she dedicated her son to the Lord, presenting him to the high priest, Eli. So let's look together in chapter 1, starting in verse 27. It says, this is Hannah speaking. She says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. Hannah's response here is one of thankfulness and worship. And then it says, it talks about Eli. It says, and he, Eli the priest, worshipped 
the Lord there. That was his response to what she did. And then chapter 2 details Hannah's worship as well and a song of worship that she sings to the Lord. And it says in chapter 2 that Samuel stayed there in the house of the Lord. He lived there with Eli, the high priest. And this is important. It says that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now, I just want to pause in the story here, and I want to encourage all you parents out there about how important it is to lead your children to worship and seek the Lord. This account of Hannah and Samuel is a little extreme. Nobody expects you to bring your child to the church and drop them off for us pastors to raise them. Please don't do that. I already have my own children. I'm good. But at the same time, please don't make the mistake of thinking that bringing your kids to church for an hour or two on Sunday is the same thing as growing up in the presence of the Lord. Our children need us to be modeling devotion and love for the Lord all week long, every day, 24-7. They're looking at you. And if your children don't see you praying, why would they ever want to pray? If they don't see you reading scripture, why would they want to read scripture? If they don't see you seeking after God, why would they ever want to seek God? Now, we have an awesome kids ministry here full of incredible volunteers who want to teach your kids about Jesus and show them the love of God. But if you really want your kids to grow, to grow up in the presence of the Lord, to make the kinds of choices that please him, and to become all that God made them to be, then please, please model for them what it means to follow God. Now, let's go back to our story here with that in mind. We don't follow God just for our own sake. We follow God for the sake of our children, our families, and the people all, of our, all around us, our friends. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel, it says, ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am, and he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was the one calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This gives me chills a little bit. How I wish it were this easy for me to hear the voice of God sometimes, right? But when I read this too, I think, okay, 
would Samuel actually have heard the Lord as clearly and easily if he hadn't already been dedicated to the Lord and then been growing up in the presence of the Lord, like it says? And I think possibly not. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, right? But I know a lot of people who I wish would come to know the Lord. People who who don't care at all about following him. People who sometimes do harm to themselves with the decisions they make in their lives. And no matter how much I might want God to show up and stand in the room and call the name of someone who needs to follow him, he doesn't seem to work that way very often. But instead, God makes himself known through us, right? So that's why it's important that Hannah dedicated her son to the Lord, and it's important that you and I model our God following for our own kids, for our families, for other people all around us. It makes it easier for God's voice to be heard in the midst of all the darkness around us. So this moment when God showed up and he called Samuel is the moment when Samuel's life was truly shaped by worship. Here's what I mean. The passage tells us that Samuel had been ministering before the Lord. He'd been involved in these worship rituals of the house of the Lord, the community of faith. But all that Samuel could do as a kid was go through the motions and learn about activities associated with worship. It says, plainly, he didn't actually yet know the Lord himself. When Eli told him to direct his response to God, that's when everything changed for him. Samuel's posture towards God changed in that that moment when he did that. He's no longer just going through the motions and ministering before the Lord. Now he's actually responding to God in worship and devotion. I've heard the term worship before described as ascribing to God the honor and glory that he's due. It's literally recognizing God as God in reverence and in respect and in adoration and in love. And this is what Samuel did. He gave God the highest place, the place of lordship. And how did he do that? Did you catch it? God called Samuel to a closer relationship with him. And what did Samuel say? Do you remember? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. He surrendered his heart, his life. He decided to follow. Notice, not only did Samuel speak to the Lord, he also listened. He was obedient. He was ready to do whatever God asked of him. And this started a chain of events in Samuel's life, way more than we have time to talk about today. Samuel went on to become a powerful man of God, a prophet of Old Testament Israel. In Acts, uh, the apostle Peter refers back to Samuel as the first of God's prophets. And then he was also the last of Israel's judges, and he would later go on to anoint the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. So here's my point in explaining this about Samuel's life. This experience of worship that led to Samuel's real encounter with God shaped his life and set him on a course of following God that gave his life meaning and worldwide impact. I'm going to repeat that again. This experience of worship that led to Samuel's real encounter with God shaped his life and set him on a course of following God that gave his life meaning and worldwide impact. Just think about that. All from worship. Have you had that kind of experience? That moment where 
everything changed and you were set on a course to whatever God wanted you to do, wherever he wanted you to go? You might have been coming to church since you were a fetus, but is the way you live your life a reflection of a real encounter with God? Scripture tells us that God called Samuel over and over, but the moment when everything changed was when Samuel responded. When he responded to God's call, his steps began to follow a path that God had laid out for him, and all of his actions and the things we know him for today became subject to his identity as a follower of God. You know what he didn't do when God called his name? He didn't say, okay, God, sure, and then he forget about God for a week until it was time to minister with the priest again. Sometimes I think we forget about God for a week. That worship is just for church time. That the word of God that's presented in our sermons isn't that important and it doesn't need to take root in our minds and in our hearts, in our consciousness. My friends, that's a terrible and ineffective way to be a God follower. It's only when we commit to living out our faith step by step, day by day, that we continue to grow up into maturity. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 5 years old, 50 years old, or 500 years old. If you don't take that step-by-step faith and put it into action in your life, you're never going to grow into a mature follower of God. Samuel's life was shaped by worship and devotion to the living God, and that's how he grew in immaturity. So let me ask you, has your life been shaped by worship? Has worshiping God changed you? Are you growing toward maturity? Are you surrendering to him, seeking him, offering your body, your mind, your soul as a living sacrifice to him? Are you giving God the highest place in your life, the place of lordship where he has free reign to ask you anything and you'll do it? Do people look at you and when they see you, do they know that you follow him by the way that you talk, by the way that you treat people, by how you spend your time and your money and your energy? If that seems like a really tall order, it is. But it's what faith that's alive looks like, and it's what real worship looks like, a life that's been changed. It's not just repeating the same actions over and over. It's surrendering to God, loving him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Imagine for a moment that God is calling your name. Imagine that God is reaching out to you. How will you respond in that moment? If going to church and going through the motions, all the things that we do and have always done, if that's not what it means, if that's not the answer, then what does it really mean to say we worship for him? We worship him. For Samuel, everything changed when worship went from repetition to relationship. It went from being an activity to being a lifestyle. My friends, worship isn't an activity. Worship is a lifestyle. 
It's your mode of operation. It, it shapes you. It guides how you see things. It informs your decisions. It battles the darkness all around you. It makes an impact. Take a look with me at what Paul had to say about the life of a follower of Christ in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21. Paul says this, Since you've heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Now this is just one example of many times where Paul and other New Testament writers give us a command like this. Put away your old desires. Be done with your sinful nature. Change your attitudes. Change your thoughts. Be like Jesus. Be like God. You might say he's expanding on and rephrasing the words of Jesus who said to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He's just, Paul's describing a worshiper someone who's being shaped by their relationship to God and not their former way of life. You might read things like this, as I once did, and think, that's impossible. How is that even possible? I'm supposed to be perfect? I'm not perfect. I miss the mark. I fall short. I don't measure up. How could I possibly do this? How could I possibly be what God is saying I'm supposed to be? Listen, you're not a light switch. Nobody expects you to go from darkness to light in an instant with the flick of your wrist. The whole time you're alive, from the very first day you say yes to Jesus until the day you die, you're a work in progress. But God has called your name. He wants you to respond. He wants you to follow. And worship? Worship is the lifestyle that comes along with following God through the power of Jesus Christ in your life. It shapes you. Worship shapes you. It guides how you see things. It informs all your decisions. It battles the darkness. It makes an impact on you and everyone around you. Former NFL quarterback Kurt Warner is considered one of the best to ever play the game of football. He's been to three Super Bowls, winning Super Bowl 43 with the St. Louis Rams, but his story includes a lot more than that, and he has a testimony about how God changed everything for him. Here's what Kurt had to say in an interview. He says, when I was growing up, I had a religious background. But all through my life, you know, for a long period of time anyways, I always had my life on one side and my Lord was on the other. And they were always two separate things. You know, I was over here. I was living my life, doing the things I thought I should be doing, trying to live a good life by human standards. And then whenever I'd screwed that up or whenever my mom made me go to church, I got over to this side and I, I did, you know, prayed and did those things. But they were always separate things. And about four years ago, Thanks to the help of my wife and some really close friends of mine, I was born again and gave my life to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it was amazing. Right at that moment, these two entities just went like this. And I realized they're not two separate things. 
That the reason I have this life and the reason that I'm here is to praise and worship the Lord above. A movie called American Underdog was released just last year that tells Kurt's story. And he and his wife have have authored several best-selling books and given countless speeches and interviews that tell the story of what God has done for them. And I don't mean winning the Super Bowl. They know and they share that all the fame and success that comes with playing professional sports and winning the biggest game in the world would be worthless without the meaning that comes from following Christ. He's what makes their lives worth it. So they give him the glory. And now the world knows the name Kurt Warner, and they hear that name, and they know that Jesus comes right along with it. Friends, to be known as a follower of God... To be known as a Jesus person is to be a worshiper. It's what shapes and defines your life. Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came to give us life, full life, life more abundant, life to the fullest. If you want your life to have meaning, if you want it to be worth it, then follow Jesus and love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. What is he asking you to change or do today, this week, so that you can be shaped by worship? Maybe you need to make a habit of intentionally spending time with God in prayer or reading scripture. Have you fallen out of that habit? Maybe you need to spend your time in the car. If you spend a lot of time in the car, maybe you need to spend it listening to worship music or listening to a Christian podcast or a speaker that builds you up, that teaches you the truth of God's word. Maybe there's a relationship in your life you have that's that's broken and you can work on mending it by asking for forgiveness or offering some. Maybe you know someone who's hurting, who needs you to show the love of God to them. And you can do that. Maybe there's a big God dream that he's given you and you haven't put any of it into action yet. All of these things are ways to worship. All of them are are ways to be an authentic God follower. And there are countless others. I'm going to close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, I'm going to ask you to listen to what God might bring to your mind, how he might prompt you right now about how you can engage with worshiping him in a full, authentic way today, this week.